Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So last week I started out the sermon by asking you to guess the world's favorite animal, and it was a golden retriever. But during first service, somebody shouted out, Cat! You might be reassured to know that we had the safety team escort them off the premises. (laughs) We've allowed him to come back today, but he's not allowed to talk, so it's uh, it's a good thing. Well, today I want to ask you to guess the world's most famous person. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because it's somewhat subjective, open to interpretation or even debate. But as I researched it, I found that there was two people that were either always kind of going back and forth between first and second. It was Elon Musk and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) The world's most famous athlete was not Conor McDavid, not sure why. It was Cristiano Ronaldo, soccer player. I looked up the world's most famous singer. Man, that was a lot of debate, a lot of argument over that one. A lot of passion over that one. And so I researched and researched. I'm not exactly sure who, but I think maybe I saw Ed Sheeran on the most lists. But anytime you ask a question like that, who's the most famous? Who's the biggest star? Who's the most influential? You're always going to get debate. You're always going to get uh, people going back and forth with a subjective question. It's open to interpretation. And yet, if you search... Who is the most well-known person in human history? There is no debate. There is no interpretation. You will find every time the answer is Jesus Christ, which I find somewhat ironic. That the most famous person in human history is on so many different levels, not well-known to us individually. The most well-known person in human history, in some ways, is anything but. Like, that's his goal for you. That's his goal for me. Like, if you're joining us online or you're here in person, if this is your first time or your 400th, that's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to know him well. And yet it's a lot more difficult, apparently, than it seems. So that's the journey that we're going to go on today. How do we take the most well-known person in human history and actually get to know him well Personally, because that's when your life starts to change for the better. One thing I will say right up front as we go on this journey is we're not going to debate whether or not Jesus existed. Okay? That, that debate has already been silenced. Eric Myers, professor of Judaic studies at Duke, said this, I don't know of any mainstream scholar who doubts the historicity of Jesus. The details have been debated for centuries, but no one who is serious doubts that he is a historical figure. N.T. Wright said it this way, I have taken it for granted that Jesus of Nazareth existed. Some writers feel a need to justify this assumption at length against people who try from time to time to deny it. It would be easier, frankly, to believe that Tiberius Caesar, Jesus' contemporary, was a figment of the imagination than to believe that there never was such a person as Jesus. Okay, so Jesus existed. There's not a lot of argument over that. There's not a lot of interpretation over that. There's not a lot of debate over that. However, that's where it starts to get interesting. Okay, we know he existed, but who is he? Frederick Nietzsche said this, that Jesus didn't live long enough to become an atheist like me. 
If he wouldn't have died young, Nietzsche said, he would have eventually seen the light. Adolf Hitler said that Jesus is the perfect Aryan warrior, the perfect Aryan warrior, the model Nazi, which is interesting because Jesus had brown skin and brown eyes. Fidel Castro, the former, former communist dictator of Cuba, said this, Jesus is the communist. Rollo May, the American psychologist, said that Jesus is the therapist for all humanity. So Jesus existed, but who is he? Is he an atheist? Is he a Nazi? Is he a communist? Is he a therapist? Is he a great moral teacher? Is he, as the t-shirt from a few years ago said, is he your homeboy? Is he my homeboy? Who is Jesus? That's where the debate rages. And that's a step that you and I must take on the journey if we want to know him well. It's a debate that's been raging for over 2,000 years now. Who is he? I'll give an example out of John chapter 10, starting at verse 22. They were celebrating Hanukkah just then in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was strolling in the temple across Solomon's porch. The Jews circling him said, How long are you going to keep us guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to throw at him. Jesus said, I have made a present to you from the Father of a great many good actions. For which of these acts do you stone me? The Jews said, we're not stoning you for anything good you did, but for what you said. This blasphemy of calling yourself God. Jesus said, why do you yell blasphemer, blasphemer at the unique one the Father consecrated and sent into the world just because I said I am the Son of God? If I don't do the things my Father does, well and good. Don't believe me. But if I am doing them, put aside for a moment what you hear me say about myself and just take the evidence of the actions that are right before your eyes. Then perhaps things will come together for you. And you'll see that not only are we doing the same thing, we are the same, Father and Son. He is in me, I am in him. They tried yet again to arrest him, but he slipped through their fingers. He went back across the Jordan to the place where John first baptized and stayed there. A lot of people followed him over. They were saying, John did no miracles, but everything he said about this man has come true. Many believed him, many believed in him then and there. Bertrand Russell was a famous atheist. Someone asked him one time, Bertrand, Mr. Russell, you've spent your whole life denying the existence of God, denying the existence of Jesus. What happens if you die and you meet Jesus face to face? What will you say to him? Bertrand Russell thought for a, for a few minutes and then he said this, I would say to him, you didn't give me enough evidence. That's exactly the debate that's going on in this moment at the temple in Jerusalem with Jesus and the religious Jews. It's quite a scene, actually. The Jews are there in Jerusalem, and they're celebrating something called Hanukkah. 
They look back about 200 years prior to a time when a guy who was nicknamed Judah Maccabee, cool nickname, by the way, it means the hammer, okay? The hammer. So the, the hammer, what he did was he liberated Jerusalem from the Assyrians, and he liberated the temple from the Assyrians. In fact, what he did was he lit the lamps of worship again so that the Jewish people knew they could worship God again in the temple. And to this day, Hanukkah is known as the festival of lights because of that. But I want you to sense the irony here. The people are gathered in Jerusalem celebrating the fact that they can worship God and God in the flesh is standing right in front of them. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And they look at him and they say, how long are you going to keep us guessing? Are you the Messiah or not? It's so incredible. How long? Just, just tell us. I went back through just the Gospel of John. These are the things that Jesus has already told them. How long are you going to keep us guessing? Jesus said, I am the one who came from heaven. Whoever believes on me has eternal life. I am the unique son of God. I will judge all humanity. All should honor me just as they honor God the Father. The Hebrew scriptures all speak of me. I perfectly reveal God the Father. I always please God and never sin. I am uniquely sent from God. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the son of man prophesied by Daniel. I will raise myself from the dead. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. How long are you going to keep us guessing? Just tell us, are you the Messiah? And listen to this. As they ask him that question, just tell us, are you the Messiah or not? They're already looking for rocks. And Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus is heartbroken. You don't see because you don't want to see. You don't hear because you don't want to hear. You don't know me because you don't want to know me. In fact, he even implores them. What does he say? Man, like, just, just leave aside everything I said. Just watch what I did. Watch what I do. When I made crippled people walk, blind people see. When I walked on water, when I fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish, when I made, made lepers clean, just look at that. But you don't see because you don't want to. You don't hear because you don't want to. You don't know because you really don't want to know me. It's so crazy because you think about it. If anyone on the face of the earth in that moment should have been longing for the coming of the Messiah, who was it? It was these religious Jews. For generations, they had looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. For generations and generations. So what's going on? See, I think it's pretty simple and it's pretty profound. I think it's a truth that's so solid and, and, and so true that it could radically impact your life this afternoon. These religious Jewish people, they believed in they longed for the Messiah in the big picture. They really did. They wanted redemption. They wanted restoration. They wanted freedom. They wanted salvation. They wanted forgiveness. They wanted eternity. They wanted it all. They wanted the Messiah. In the big picture, they were ready. They were open. They had faith even that the Messiah was going to come. But here's what they couldn't do. They couldn't make room for their big picture faith to fit in their little picture lives. 
They couldn't make room for their big picture faith to fit in their little picture lives. In the big picture, they wanted all of that. They wanted redemption. They wanted salvation. They wanted eternity. In the little picture, hmm, that's where it starts to get a little bit interesting, right? See, for generations, these group of religious Jews, they told the people of Israel, listen, 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 you can have salvation, but you just got to achieve it. You got to achieve it. So you do what we tell you to do, exactly how we tell you to do it. You keep the rules that we tell you to keep, exactly how we tell you to keep them. You obey, you follow the regulations that we tell you about, exactly how we tell you to follow them. I want you to think for a second, how powerful must they have been? How prestigious, how influential, how affluent must they have been because of the power that they wielded? So in the, big, in the big picture, oh, they want the Messiah. They know they need the Messiah. In the little picture, they don't have room for their big picture faith in their little picture lives. See, because now Jesus steps into history and says, no, no, you don't have to achieve it, you just receive it. Salvation is the free gift of God. Don't need to listen to them. Just need to put your faith in me. So they're saying, hey, how long are you gonna keep us guessing while they're already looking for the rocks and Jesus is heartbroken? And I wonder if it's just the religious Jews 2,000 years ago, or I wonder if it's a temptation that you and I face every single day. See, I think deep down inside, we all want Jesus. I would suggest to you, if you're joining us online or here in person for the first time, or the first time in a really, really long time, that deep down inside of you, you want that. And for us who have been in church for a while, we want that. We want that redemption. We want that restoration. We want that salvation. We want that forgiveness. We want that freedom. We want that eternity. We want that. The problem that we always have is this. How can I take that big picture faith and make room in my little picture life? Psalm 37 verse 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that awesome? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. In other words, in other words, in other words, take your big picture faith, okay, and apply it, apply it, make room in your little picture life and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So my goal coming out of university was that I would go to law school. And because I had some wasted years of non-productivity at Red Deer College, I had a GPA issue. So I had to get straight A's in my last year of university in order to get a GPA that I could get into law school with, okay? So I did it, I got straight A's in my last year. And, and I remember walking out of my last exam in my last year of university, I was on my way to tell Corinne, I did it, Corinne, we, we were engaged at that point, I did it Corinne, I'm getting into law school, and I'm walking through the lobby of the RNT building at Trinity Western University, this is supposed to be a jaunty step, okay? I was just like, I don't even know what jaunty means, but it sounded good, okay? So I'm stoked, I'm stoked, I nailed it, I hit it, right? And as I'm walking through the, the lobby of the RNT building, I felt God say to me, not audibly, by the way, but like this impression deep in my heart. He said, hey, you're going to be a teacher, not a lawyer. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, to understand my story, you've got to understand this about me. I've never had a lot of trouble taking big picture faith and making room in my little picture life. And here's why because I still remember what my life was like 
when I tried to do it my way. I will never forget. I'll never forget what it was like to try to find peace, to try to find hope, to try to find courage on my own. Now, sometimes I wonder, was that really God speaking, you know? Or was that just bad pizza last night, you know, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but in that moment, it was really, really clear. So I didn't argue. I'm going to be a teacher then. So I got a job at a small private school here in Chilliwack. I started teaching when I was 23 years old. By the time I was 36 years old, this was my job. My job was, oh, so good. So easy. I was the academic vice principal for the secondary school at this small private school. I was the athletic director. I taught history 12, and I was a senior boys basketball coach. By the time I was 36 years old, that school that I was the academic vice principal for was named the number one academic school in our little region here called the Fraser Valley. My history 12 class, back when everybody had to take the government exams, for three years in a row, had the highest class average in all of BC on the government exam. And my senior boys basketball team had just won the provincial championships. I'm not saying I was great. I had great, incredible kids to work with. But what I'm saying is my life was pretty good. Didn't make a ton of money, but I had other streams of income. I started a basketball club and a volleyball club. We did basketball camps, volleyball camps. I worked for the governor of BC, marking provincial exam, history 12 provincial exams and developing curriculum. So I had my life all pinned. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So I'm 36 years old. I'm standing up during the music session of Southside Church back in the day when we met at Sardis Secondary, you know, all those years ago. It seems like just yesterday. I was 36. It was a couple of years ago. Okay, so, so I'm there. And in that moment, in that moment, in that moment, I felt God speak to me. He said, you got to leave that school. I told you I don't argue with God, right? But sometimes I wonder, was that really God speaking? And so driving home that day, I said to Corinne, uh, crazy thing, crazy thing happened. I feel like God spoke to me and said, we're supposed to leave that school. She said, I feel like he's telling me the exact same thing. So now I had a choice. Do I take my big picture faith and make room in my little picture life? Because that's hard. And so I did. And then we had to figure out what are we going to do now? So there's a few schools that had told me, hey, if you ever leave that school, you can have a job here. Went and toured a couple of them. I just didn't feel like that was the thing. We thought as a family for a while we were going to go to Hawaii to do a six-month discipleship training school with her whole family. That would have been fun. But around that same time, Southside Church reached out to us and said, hey, would Mike want to become our youth pastor? Now, Psalm 37, verse 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, the desires of your heart. You know one thing I had never desired in my entire life? No, in my entire life. Never once in my life had I ever desired to be a pastor of any kind. Nor had I ever desired to become a 38-year-old youth pastor. Nothing against 38-year-old youth pastors at all. Nothing at all. I had just never desired that. So now I've got a choice. Am I willing to take that big picture of faith and, uh, and, uh, and apply it and make room in my little picture of life? That's hard. I didn't think I was really going to like being a youth pastor, but God made it clear you're supposed to. 
And man, I look back at those three and a half years now, and those are some of the best years of my life. Like some of my best friends to this day were youth leaders that work with me. When I started as youth pastor, we had 30 kids coming to the youth group. By the time I left three and a half years later, there was over 150 kids attending, and these kids were just incredible. I remember I always had a pet peeve about missions trip, missions trips when I was a, uh, a teacher. Because the kids would always come to me and go, hey, can you sponsor us you know, to go on this mission trip? And I always did, but I was always wondering. you know, Because I looked at the pictures and the videos, and it always felt to me like they went down to Mexico or South America or to Africa, and they just kind of went like, hey, here we are. Here we are, Mexicans. You know, here, here, here we are. We're Caucasian. <laughs> We're white, you know? Are you not changed? Are, are, are you not inspired? Are you not incredibly encouraged? Look at us, we're privileged white kids from Chilliwack. It's just amazing, isn't it? And I always kind of wondered about that, you know? So a couple of buddies that were youth pastors, I asked them, like, what's the deal with that? And they said, oh, here's what you gotta understand, Mike. You gotta understand that when you go on a mission trip, it's not really for the people that you go down, it's, it's for the people who go. And I always thought to myself, yeah, but couldn't, you know, couldn't we do both? You know, so I remember, Kids all wanted to go on a mission trip, so we went down to, uh, we were gonna go down to Vicente Guerrero, Mexico to build a house for a family in need. So the missions organization says to us, hey, like, we send a youth group down, you fundraise a little bit of money, and you build a house. So I went back to the youth group. I'm like, hey, you wanna go build a house? They're like, yeah, we wanna build five. I'm like, how many? They're like, five. I'm like, okay, so I go back to the missions organization, I'm like, they wanna build five. And they're like, no one builds five. You can't do that. This is way too much fundraising, way too much work. But they did it, they built five. And then, and then we went down with six youth leaders, young adult youth leaders, down to a place called Mirabelle, Haiti. And before we went, you know what they did? They raised just about $100,000. And we went down there and we started this thing called the Haiti Free School. One grade, grade one. And then every year it went up to grade two, grade one and two, grade one, two, and three, grade. And, and, and now, to this day, it's still running. Just about 550 kids attend that school. And for those 550 kids, they get a free education. Down in Haiti, you gotta pay to go to school. There's no way these kids could pay, but they get a free education. Every day, they get a meal, one more meal than many of them would've got that day. At this point, kids are graduating into grade 12. We're sending them on in scholarship to go to university. Where did it start? It started with that, those years, that group, those incredible people I got to work with. Psalm 37, verse four, I never would've chosen to be a youth pastor, that was never something I would have aspired towards, and yet, I wouldn't trade those years for anything, you know? So three and a half years into being a youth pastor, it becomes evident that I'm supposed to transition into the role of lead pastor. Lead pastor. Psalm 37 verse four says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Did I tell you that? Yeah. Well, I had never desired being a lead pastor, not at all. So I know I've got up here on the stage before and I've told you something really funny you know, happened in that first year. The first year that I was lead pastor, something really funny. Uh, we, we had about 400 people who called Southside Church home when I started. And, and, and a year later, after being lead pastor for a year, we had just about 400 people who called Southside Church home. But it was almost, almost, not completely, almost a completely different 400 people. That's kind of funny, right? It was one of the hardest things I've ever went through. And the only way it can really illustrate it to you is this way. If you walk around today and you receive 22 awesome compliments and one really hard insult, which one do you remember? 
just about 400 people left. But that wasn't the hardest thing. The hardest thing was preaching. Every single week. (sighs) Like, no one had ever trained me to preach. No one had ever trained me to preach every single week. I just remember this thing from teacher training. They said in teacher training, hey, you know what? Never underprepare for a class. You know, you do not want to get in front of a middle school class, have 40 minutes of material for a 55-minute class. It is a whole new definition of pain. You do not want to do that. I'm like, okay, I got it. I got it. So I would prepare, literally, I would prepare about four hours of material for a 40-minute sermon every week. Um, so I didn't sleep on a Saturday night for about two and a half years. I didn't sleep most Friday nights. I would wake up on Sunday morning and my bed would be soaking wet. Psalm 37 verse four says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I never, ever, ever desired that. See, the only reason I hung on is because I, I had this faith, I had this big picture faith and I wasn't gonna let go of it. And I knew for big picture faith to be real, I had to be willing, even in the hard times, to make room in my little picture life. Something started happening inside of me. As the months went on, as the years went on, something started happening inside of me that never would have happened without those sleepless nights. Maybe you've heard people stand up here before and say this, you live your life for an audience of one, my friend, an audience of one. You live for the approval of God only. You don't have to live your life to prove anything to anyone, just God. And God already approves of you, you know? Audience of one. I actually began to believe that. Put it another way, would be this. I learned that you can either love people or live for their approval. You can't do both. You can either love people or you can live for their approval. You can't do both. You understand that, right? Because if you're living for the approval of someone, you want something from them. Does that make sense? And love gives. Love's not looking to take. Maybe I'll put it one more way. I learned something that I would never learn without those sleepless nights. I learned this. It's not my job to fill your cup. It's not my job to fill your cup. It's just my job to empty mine. Take whatever God gave me and empty it. It's not my job to fill your cup. I got no idea what your posture is today. For all I know, you're watching Oilers highlights on your phone right now. I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea if you're ready. I, I have no idea if you're leaning in. I have no idea what your faith level is. All I know, and by the way, this principle applies for parenting. It applies for everything you do, anything you do. It's not your job to fill anyone's cup. It's just your job to empty yours. When I preached this sermon to a group of staff on Thursday, they said, okay, Mike, so when you get to the end, you got to tell people, like, how great you're doing now. So I will. Look at me now. I'm not weird at all. <laughs> I'm so normal now. It's just amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I would say this. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this. Come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're tired. Come to me if you're burdened. 
and you will find rest for your soul. That's more true for me today than it's ever been. Like this sense of peace that goes way deeper than circumstances. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart way, way, way deeper than you can even fathom in this little picture that we call life. So somewhere along the line, you gotta be willing, you gotta be willing to have that faith that says this, God, I believe you so much, my faith is so strong in the big picture that I'm actually willing to take my big picture faith and make room in my little picture life. And if you do, you can do this this afternoon. If you do, you'll know him. You'll know him well. It's gonna be so easy, no, it's not going to be easy at all, but it's going to be good. It's not going to be comfortable, but it's going to be right. It's not even necessarily going to be safe, but it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be purpose. It's going to be joy. It's going to be fulfillment beyond our ability to even understand. If we're just willing to do this, I will take my big picture faith, and I will make room in my little picture life. Jesus looks at these religious men, and he says... Have you been watching? So you don't see because you don't want to see. Have you been listening? No, you don't hear because you don't want to hear. You don't know me because you don't want to know me. How long are you going to keep us guessing? Are you the Messiah or not? And they're looking for rocks to stone him. See, in the first half of John chapter 10, Jesus looks at them and says, you're not shepherds. You're not shepherds. Because shepherds live to love the sheep. You're looking to get something from the sheep. But in the second half here of John chapter 10, Jesus goes a step further. He says, you're not even sheep. You're not even sheep. Which would have hit these Jewish people very hard because a thousand years earlier, David had written this psalm, Psalm 23, that starts out this way. The Lord is my shepherd. They saw it as their birthright that the Lord was their shepherd. Yet Jesus looks at them and says, you're not even sheep because you don't hear. You're not listening because you don't want to. Hey, how long are you going to keep us guessing? Are you the Messiah or not? And they're looking for rocks. And Jesus in that moment, by the way, we've now entered the last weeks of Jesus' life. The Gospel of John devotes a majority of the entire book to these last weeks. So Jesus knows. Jesus knows with this flat out straight question, he knows what the answer is going to bring. He says yes. And then he tells him why he's willing to say yes. Why he's willing to start a journey towards the end of his life. He says, I've come to give you eternal life and real life. Eternal life and real life. Eternal life is life after death. That's a big picture of faith again, right? Life after death. Eternal life. Life after death. I would suggest the Bible says God's placed eternity inside of you. That something inside of you longs for eternity. Something inside of you realizes that you're not supposed to just be constrained. C.S. Lewis explains it this way. He says, we're so little reconciled to time that we are even astonished at it. 
You ever think about that? How he's grown, we exclaim. How time flies. As though the universal form of our experience were again and again a novelty. It's as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised at the very wetness of water. And that would be strange indeed. Unless, of course, the fish were destined to become one day a land animal. You were not meant to live inside of the constraints of time and decay and death. Your body is going to wear out, but you're never going to wear out. Death for you is not going to be termination. It's going to be a transition into eternity. New heaven, new earth, new body. No more disease. No more hatred. No more violence. No more war. No more pollution. No more racism. No more tears. No more disease. No more darkness. No more death. Eternity. Eternity. Fully and completely beautiful. Full of joy, full of laughter, full of love. Like literally full of. Full of adventure. Full of anticipation. You'll look at me a million years from now and say the best is yet to come and you'll be right. Jesus says, yeah, I'm, I'm him. Why? Because he wanted you to have life after death. Eternal life. And real life too. Real life. Like Jesus came to give you life after death, but he also came to give you life before death. And you can start applying that this afternoon. If you can learn to take this big picture faith and fit it into your little picture life. Make room, make room, make room for him this afternoon. Do you have big picture faith? Well, then make room in your little picture life. Real life. Life before death. Is it easy? No. Comfortable? Mm -mm. Safe? Probably not. But it's so good, and it's so right, and it's so beautiful, and it's so much purpose, and so much strength, and so much fulfillment. A life worth living. How do you do it? You take this big picture of faith. You make room in your little picture of life. That's it. You can do that this afternoon. All of us can. How long are you going to keep us guessing? And they're reaching for their rocks. It's such a powerful moment. Because the rocks don't fly that day. The rocks don't fly that day. But one day, not many weeks later, back in Jerusalem, the rocks do fly. And the whip does crack. And the nails are pounded through Jesus' hands and his feet. And he dies on a Roman cross. Why? So that you can have eternal life, life after death, and, and, and real life. Life before death. That's it. That's it. So I want to do two, two things as we close today. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because the first thing I want to do is I want to ask you, is today the day that you take hold of what Jesus has achieved on your behalf? Salvation is not anything you need to do. It's already been done by Jesus. All you need to do is ask him. All you need to, to do is to accept what he already did. Eternal life. Eternal life and real life that starts right now. If today is the day that you want to accept that from him with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to pray for you right now. So raise your hand nice and high, please. It's amazing. 
If you're watching online and it's safe to do so, wherever you're at, please raise your hand also. There's something powerful about an outward expression of an inward commitment. If your hand's up, you can put it down. I'm gonna pray out loud and I just ask you to pray silently along with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that salvation is nothing that I need to achieve. Today I just receive it from you, thank you. Thank you for dying, thank you that you rose again. I ask you to be my savior. Move me past my past. Give me a fresh start right now. And Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord. Thank you that you rose. And now I wanna follow you into real and eternal life, one next step at, the, at a time. Give me the strength. I pray this in your name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate? There's a second thing that I want to do today, and this is for you whether you just raised your hand or whether you've been in church your whole life. I've asked the band to close with a song that's all about making room. Making room of that big picture faith into our little picture lives. So what is it for you this afternoon? Is there a decision that you've been putting off? Is there an apology that you need to give? Is there forgiveness that you need to extend? Is there bitterness that you need to let go of? What is it for you? It's funny, the last few weeks, I've talked to more guys than I ever have since my days in Red Deer, talking about steroids, guys on steroids. And I felt like I was supposed to mention it today. So. Why are you putting that stuff in your body? You know it's not good for you, right? So what are you doing it for? To win the approval of people? Like, is today the day, honestly, is today the day that you need to take that big picture of faith and understand that God loves you and he approves of you and you need to apply it to that decision? Could be drugs, could be alcohol, could, could be anything. And for some of you, for some of us, it's fear. For some of us, it's fear. Like we get big picture faith, but what would it take for this afternoon for you to hand him your fear and say, Jesus, not only do I touch you, trust you with eternity, but I trust you with today. How do we know the most well-known person in human history? How do we get to know him well? I would suggest that this afternoon we make a decision. We make a decision. I'm gonna take that big picture of faith and I'm gonna make room, I'm gonna make room, I'm gonna make room for that faith in my little picture life. Change everything this afternoon. So why don't you stand and join the band as we make that proclamation.
This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender.
Jesus, we just come before you and we lay everything down. We make space for you in our lives, in the big things, in the small things, in the everyday things, God. I pray over every single person in this room that if you haven't yet made it clear to them what you want them to do, where you want them to make space for you in their lives, I pray you would make it clear to them. And I pray that you would give them, give me the courage to do that, to make space for you. Because we trust you, because we know that you're so good and that your plans for us are good. They might not be easy, but they're so, so good. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. It was an amazing Sunday with you. Reminder that Easter is in two weeks. Invite your friends, invite your family. It's gonna be amazing. Take care, have a great Sunday. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.